at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everybody. EJ here. Just before we start the podcast, I want to just have my second and last reminder that uh, we're going to be doing some futzing with the podcast feed uh, before next week's podcast. Uh, I have made the mistake in the past, and I'm now correcting it, that I had two different feeds up on iTunes for the same podcast. They both go to the same place, and so I'm going to be deleting one of those feeds from iTunes. If you are on the second feed, this is the feed which has uh, only, I believe, one uh, rating on it. That feed is going to die. It is no longer going to be there. There will be no more podcasts after this one uh, put up onto that feed. You need to resubscribe to the feed with many more uh, ratings on it. I think it has 14 or 15 at this point, and that will be the permanent feed for some time. So if this time next week you're looking around in your podcast feed and you don't see uh, in It's About the Money podcast, just go ahead and check and see if, uh, if you are still subscribed to the podcast. Thank you guys very much, and we will get on with the show. Hello, and welcome to episode 102 of the It's About the Money podcast, your podcast about the New York Yankees and fights and boxing. Uh, my name is EJ Fagan, and today I am joined just by Jim Carruthers. What's up, EJ? What a great way to bring in uh, Mayweather... Uh a McGregor week with uh, a little tussle in Detroit. I think we should send Austin Romine uh, and or Didi Gregorius up against Mayweather, see what happens. <laughs> I'll tell you, baseball fights usually suck, but uh, this, was, this was a hockey fight out on a baseball field. Yeah, it got, uh, it got hot pretty quick. I would like to point out, though, um, that Miguel Cabrera fights like A-Rod, and um, <laughs> he definitely needs to go to the Odour school of, uh, of fighting because that was lame. And he took a big swing, but Romine's a little wiry guy right there. He wasn't. He was. He was doing his uh, Floyd Mayweather impression. I, I didn't know nothing about boxing, but <laughs> no, it was. He, he had some good shoulder rolls there, and it, uh, he dropped. And he uh, went for the legs. Yeah, he went, he went right leg. for the. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think I, I have five heroes of the of the fight. Okay. Um, so number one is is of course Austin Romine for taking down Miguel Cabrera and uh, and going for the legs. Uh, number two is Didi Gregorius, first person. To uh, to get in there and kind of go for like the secondary tackle. Okay. is a big guy, and all Romine probably couldn't keep him down himself. Uh, number three, Gardner for after Gregorius going in there, holding down Cabrera while somebody I think it was Romine, <laughs> it might have been Gary Sanchez, was like sucker punching him the whole time. Uh, number three, Sonny Gray for some reason just grabs Nick Castellanos and just sits on him for the entire fight. I don't know why, but please don't get injured, Sonny Gray, because we don't want to see more Jaime Garcia, which we're going to talk about later. Uh, number four, a big pitcher. I think it might have been Sabathia, though. Seeing some pictures of Sabathia, other words, I'm not too sure. Like, elbowed his way into the middle of the scrum and just like went for it and just and just you know took some guys out. I think it was Sabathia, though I'm not entirely sure who it was. Uh, so those are my heroes of the fight. Do you have any additional heroes? I'd like to throw in a shout out to David uh, Robertson for like going. He definitely won the sprint contest from the bullpen. Uh, to the infield, and uh, the yes feed was really fixated on him and his ability to get in quickly. Um, 
I mean, generally, I think relief pitchers running out is one of the dumbest things that there is. Um, but you know what? If you're going to do it, do it right. And uh, props to him for that. Unless you have Kyle Farnsworth on your team, who who can throw punches like anyone else. So, also Aaron Judge. I don't know if I wanted him to go in there throwing punches or not, because Aaron Judge was trying to play peacemaker because he's you know a nice guy, uh, you know in in the middle of this scrum. But like he's the biggest guy in the field. Like I want Aaron Judge to just like go at people if you're, if we're going to be in the middle of a of a real fight. We had a little technical snafu, so we are uh, we're going to restart this a little bit. So, uh, Jim, so the fight happened. We talked about the fight, and uh, looks like there will likely be some suspensions. Uh, probably first among those is Dylan Batanzas. So anybody who didn't watch it, uh, Batanzas hit a hitter, uh, James uh, the Detroit catcher James McCann, straight in the head uh, the next inning. And was uh, was ejected from from that game, and it was pretty clear that it wasn't on purpose. That he wasn't trying to hit anybody. It was a tie game at the time, and Patanza's like immediate reaction was like, "No, no, that wasn't me. I'm sorry about that." Uh, Jim, what what two questions? What should happen to Patanza's, and what do you think will happen to him? I think if it's, I mean, I think this is always dicey because, um, like. The, the problem with this whole concept of, like, suspending pitchers for this is that the guys who start it rarely end up, like, footing the bill at all. Um, so Batantis is at the tail end of this, so unfortunately he'll probably catch the most of it. Since he's a reliever, I, I could see, like, a three-game for him. Like, for a starter, they try to do, like, five games to make him miss one start, even though that just ends up rewarding him. I could see them actually doing, like, a three-game. Um, realistically... He probably should shouldn't get anything. Maybe a game just to think about it. But they're going to come down hard because it was an ugly day for baseball. Um, they had eight ejections or whatever it was. A lot of guys being a lot of brawls and uh, you know and hugging in the infield. They're, they're going to try to make a statement in, in some regard. But what do you think? I think they should. Yeah, I think it's. I think um, even though Patanzas, like in, in absent the context that it took place in, I think nothing would happen, right? I think it would have just been Patanzas apologizing, and, and that's that. Um, but given the context, you know, I think that baseball needs to needs to lay down some kind of marker, even if it was an, an accident. Um, and let's be honest, Dylan Patanzas is a wild pitcher. Like, yeah, you know, him throwing ninety something up near somebody's head uh, is something that's going to happen because he's he's wild. Um, and I don't think he should get the full like eight game suspension that you get for intentionally throwing at somebody's head. Um, but I think it's good for the game for there to be some kind of disincentive here. Um, even if, even if, you know, it was a complete accident. Um, I don't think, I don't think Romine's going to get suspended. Or at least I don't think he should, right? Like, like Miguel Cabrera clearly took the first swing right there. Like if you, you can kind of see Austin Romine mouthing, like, I got nothing to say to you. I have nothing to say to you. And, you know, Miguel Cabrera just, was, you know, was just unhappy. I, I totally agree. I think that, and that's the other thing. Like Carlos Torres, like the home plate umpire for this, um, I, I think he blew this. Like that, that whole thing that didn't need to blow up, and Cabrera was chirping at him for you know the whole duration of that. No one stepped in. No one said anything. Like a good home plate ump will go up and, and, and take a walk or at least do something to diffuse the situation, and they just let it stew. Um, and and I think when it festers like that, then it, it grows. And I, I'm totally with you. I mean, Romine's within his right. Like, if somebody puts hands on you, stuff's going to happen. Um, and it wasn't that ugly. Like, like I know we were joking about punches and, and, and ducking and rolling. But, um, 
I don't think it was. It wasn't that ugly. I mean, it was. It was more of like a, a wrestling match than you know, an all-out brawl. It wasn't you know Farnsworth like you alluded to before. Um, so I think, I, I think they should be light on him. I th- I could see something coming. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see something for Fulmer if I'm honest. Um, but I, I also that's the instigator the the instigator skating on this is is my whole problem and i i think he'll probably end up skating i mean do you see anything happening to on the detroit side you know i i think i think Miguel cabrera gets a suspension of some kind okay um i think i think that i i'm i'm unhappy about conley being the guy who gets tossed from this game cuz fulmer yeah. was clearly uh, he at least the interpretation there is that fulmer was pissed off that gary sanchez hit a home run off of him and so he hit him and that is the worst kind of getting hit, right? I think what Conley does, which is just a retaliation for that, it's not like something that in a perfect world should happen, but it's a bit of mutually assured destruction that I do think has value in the game. Um, where, where like, I, I think that if you're going to hit Gary Sanchez because you're pissed off at, at somebody, then you should expect Miguel Cabrera or, or somebody better than Miguel Cabrera, Justin Upton. Uh, to get hit in the butt, right? And that, and he 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 aimed at at least the the spot that that Sanchez was hit in, and I think that that's the time for a warning and not an ejection. And that warning, I think, both solves the the problem of like discouraging this type of behavior, but also allows a little bit of that mutually assured, assured destruction to prevent something worse from eking out. Because I really do think that a world where you don't have you don't have that kind of like a retaliation as an option is a world where you get brawls like this because yeah. players are going to want to resolve the conflict somehow. And, you know, and you know, if somebody was intentionally hit and you, it, you're right, it's hard to have recourse for that first person who gets hit because people get hit all the time and nobody's like obviously claiming credit on the field for what happens, even if people interpret it probably the way it should be interpreted. Also, I mean, I think some of this is just a function of the season as well. Like, doesn't this kind of seem like the like this type of game only seems to happen in August and September to me? Um, like, Detroit kind of had a lazy first two games, and, and you know, uh, Susan and John were calling them out for being lazy in the outfield, um, and the, they, they kind of sleptwalked through the first two. Um, and I think, like, for a team that's got really – they're not playing for a whole lot right now. The team's going nowhere. They got a lot of dead money in the books, and a lot of those guys know they're not going to be there or, or not going to be valued on that team going forward. I, ju- I just think that like this is something that happens between a good team and a bad team this time of year. Um, so some of that is just like the the constant you know powder keg that's baseball in August. You know. Yeah, I think there's some of that. I also think that the the Yankees hadn't really been in this kind of monkey situation in a while. Like, I'm trying to remember the last time the Yankees had this kind of real, I mean, like, real fight controversy. We've had some, you know, some pushing and benches clearing, but this was was a pretty big one. And, you know, the Yankees haven't been young in a long time. And I think this is something that the young guns do, right? The guys who were involved in that fight were, you know, not Aaron Judge, but were Gary Sanchez, Austin Romine, Didi Gregorius, um, you know, the... Yeah, you know, there's a great there's a great video of of Sabathia just laughing like in the middle of the scrum. Um, so other than like you know, Brett Gardner, who's like the leader of this team, no, not many real old guys were really kind of in there throwing punches, um, except for Miguel Cabrera, I guess. Um, and uh, and you know, I think that's that's it's not a coincidence that these things kind of both happen. Um, I also think that the way that Girardi gets ejected and the way that Conley gets ejected just kind of heightened tensions. And and we've talked a little bit about the umpires. 
Um, but let's move on a little bit, um, since the person at the center of that fight is much more interesting to talk about, or one of the people at the center of the scrum, which was Gary Sanchez. Um, Gary Sanchez has been hot recently. He's got about 17 home runs this week. Um, he's now <laughs> slugging 551 on the season. Uh, and I want to ask you just kind of very, a very simple question. If you could only have one of them going forward long term, uh, would you rather have Aaron Judge or Gary Sanchez on your team? I think um, I, I think Aaron Judge is going to do things that we just don't see on a baseball field, um, and he's he's kind of he's the fireworks show of, of the major leagues, and he's I think he's a good guy for the team. But when I look at positional value, um, I think I think Gary Sanchez is better than a two seventy eight hitter. And 278 at catcher is really good. Um, his his slugging, like you said, 551. His ISO 273. That's really high. Um, and at, at catcher, that's just you don't get that value at that position. Um, so I think and he's 24. Like that's the thing. He's it, he's just a kid. You, realistically, you can expect four to five years of of this level production, and maybe he really pops and goes beyond this. Um, and for a, a right-handed catching prospect like this, who plays adequate defense, sometimes stellar defense at times, um, I just I don't think you can walk by that. Power hitting right fielders, they come and they go, um, and Aaron Judge is going to is going to hit some balls, you know, into Jersey while uh, during his time in, with the Yanks. But um, I think I'd rather have it at catcher uh, than at right field. Yeah. So, like, my I have a couple of feelings about this. So, the first thing I think is that there's just some real obvious warning signs with Aaron Judge, and maybe he overcomes those, and maybe he survives or gets his strikeout rate back down, or becomes Aaron Judge with good def- oh, becomes Adam Dunn with good with good defense or something like that, and he's a really good MVP candidate, you know, for for his the prime of his career, right? I think that's an entirely plausible. I think he I think you know Aaron Judge could win MVPs easily. Yeah. Um, and I think when he's on. Because he's a guy who also takes a ton of walks, he's he will be a more valuable player than than Gary, than Gary Sanchez. Like I, I don't I don't think Gary Sanchez is going to put up another streak like he did at the beginning of his career, but I think Aaron Judge might put up another streak like he did for the first three months of this season. Hmm. Um, that said, like if we just take the averages right now, they've both played basically the same number of major league games. Aaron Judge has played 148 major league games. Gary Sanchez has played 147. Aaron Judge during that time has been worth 5.8 wins. Gary Sanchez during that time has been worth 6.4 wins. He's been better. And it's hard to it's easy to forget that he had that hot streak at the end of last season that before Aaron Judge like like one upped him um, was like the greatest hot streak we had seen a rookie do in, in a very long time. Um, and then this season, you know, he hasn't been as good this season. But he's been really good this season, and he's he's basically putting up the peripherals that you would expect him to put up. His twenty four percent strikeout rate isn't great, and I think he could, he could actually kind of bring that down a little bit over time. Um, but it's good enough that you know two seventy ish batting average with his kind of batted ball uh, work is is, is completely completely conceivable. Um, and then you add on top of that, not just as a catcher, but like every metric we have, like regardless of how many of the pass balls are, including those pass balls, says that Kerry Sanchez is a really good defensive catcher. Yeah. He's worth 7.2 wins above the average catcher this season. And, you know, and the metrics say that Aaron Judge is essentially a slightly above average right fielder, which is also pretty good and much better than like an Adam Dunn, Adam Dunn type. But, 
Like that that's the difference here. This isn't Jorge Posada. We're talking about, you know, the best catcher in the American League right now and probably for for a very long time. Yeah, I totally it I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think like the comments on him with pass balls are a bit loaded. Like he had a couple bad weeks, but the Yankees staff isn't exactly easy to catch. Um and you know, he's got three guys on the staff that throw 100 miles an hour and a lot of them have nasty breaking balls to match. And I just, you know, it's a lot to think about for a catcher. I, I think Gary also strikes me as a guy who, w- when things are going right, everything goes right. I don't think it's a coincidence that the last couple of weeks he's had some really nice throws and some nice stops. Some, his defense at least, is at least uh, steadied. And all of a sudden he starts hitting the cover off the ball. Um, and I think for a guy like that to miss a month in the middle of the season or to start the season, I think that messes with rhythm a little bit. And this was, you know, probably for me a more impressive season because it, it could have been a throwaway year, you know, like Teixeira had a couple years ago when he had the wrist injury. Um, but it wasn't. He, he, he come back and for 278 for a catcher, and this is considered a down year for Gary because we know he's, what he's capable of. I think that tells you who he can be as a pro. Um, and that's a really encouraging sign for a 24-year-old kid that's the captain of a staff. Yeah, I mean, let me say something about pass balls, too. Like, they are the, one of the most visible parts of catcher defense. Like, we can physically watch Gary Sanchez, you know, miss some balls that probably should have been caught. And, you know, there's something to be said for, you know, having something out there and obvious that we can see. But I think it's more important to think about, like, the what, what, are, what are the most important parts of, of catcher defense, Right. I think it's making outs and you know, turning things that weren't going to be outs into outs. That's caught stealing and that's framing. And Sanchez is very good at both of those. And he's not yep. good at the pass ball thing. And, and so, you know, the reason why we have these defensive metrics is to quantify something that we can't learn just through intuition. And there's a real we've, – we've actually had this problem with outfielders before, right, where there's this real feeling that – or even a Derek Jeter-type infielder where – intuition says something and then the numbers say something else with with Derek Jeter the intuition said this guy is a really good defensive player and even if his, his peers even voted him a gold glove a couple of times while the numbers say he's really bad and the reason I think that that, that was was that Derek Jeter was one of the best players in the game once he got to a ball especially at any kind of ball in the air at turning that into an out he was the worst player in the game at turning ground balls into outs um uh, because he one had a, had a noodle for an arm and two had no range, um, but he he was really good at these kind of big flashy plays that you remember, and not so good at the routine plays that by the time the TV camera gets to you, the ball's already past you, mm-hmm. and so you can't compare Didi Gregorius to Derek Jeter all that easily. Um, and I think that Gary Sanchez is kind of in that same spot where once you actually just kind of add up all the stuff that he does, and there's lots of little things that a catcher does, it turns out that he's he's pretty good. Um, so here's a question for you. So I didn't say the best catcher in baseball. I said the best catcher in the American League because some guy named Buster Posey. And I don't really care whether or not that if he's better or worse than Buster Posey. But one interesting thing about Buster Posey is that the Giants for years now have tried to get more at-bats out of Posey by playing him at first base pretty frequently. They, they went as high as in 2015. They played 42 games at first base. And so he still got the occasional day off, but he, he, in the end, ended up playing about 150, 152 games or starting 150, 152 games a season, which is much more than your average catcher, but because he hit like Buster Posey, it was something that was valuable. 
Should the Yankees do something like that with Gary Sanchez? And if so, what position should he play? Uh, I think I think they have to do it with Gary Sanchez. Um, and now that they're finally you know freeing up the logjam of some of the older contracts, I think it's a good opportunity. Obviously, DH time is good. Um, but his bat plays at first base. Um, you know, it, even in a perfect world, if we have uh, Greg Bird, if, if he ever comes back, um, you know, he, you could you could platoon him at first base with Bird. You could give Bird a blow with him at first. Um, he's a big man, so I, I don't foresee him making the transition to the outfield, even though by catcher standards, he's fleet of foot. Um, by everyone else standards, he's slow. Um, but if you, if you just roll his numbers of, you know, He's got, I'm looking at like a 267 ISO, 372 WOBA. Like, that's comparable to like an Eric Thames. Um, and right now, the Yankees would probably kill to have Eric Thames playing first base for them. Um, and a, for a right-handed bat who you, you give him, you know, 20 or 30 games at first base, you know, a, a hundred, you have him catch 100 days and, you know, another 20 days as a DH. Um, I think that could be a good mix and also save some some life in those legs because as I mentioned he's he's big by catcher standard. Buster Posey is a you know, kind of an average sized human. <laughs> Gary Sanchez has got you know he, he's got thick haunches so he, he's he's not going to last down there if you ask him to squat 140 games a year. Uh, so I, I my problem with this is that this means a lot more games for your backup catcher. And if mm, you have a yeah. good backup catcher, I think it's defensible um, because you're, you know, you're, you're not taking that big of a hit going from Tyler Austin to Austin Romine or Greg Bird to Austin Romine. Um, Austin Romine's really bad. Uh, I was kind of joking with some friends that I, I didn't know what Austin Romine was saying to Miguel Cabrera, but what he should have said was, hey, Miguel, you're hitting like me this season. <laughs> um, he's pretty bad. And, you know, maybe... Maybe the answer is Kyle Higashioka, but I think if the Yankees kind of take a moment and kind of step back and think about their their catching situation, if they want to play um, Gary Sanchez, you know, at first base for forty or fifty games a year, or DH or something, I think that they need to go out and get a backup catcher who's good and like really good, like essentially somebody starting catcher. Go out and get on a Wellington Castillo uh, to be your backup catcher, um, and I. I just don't think I don't think it's a good idea with Austin Romine out there. Um, I also think that DH is the answer more than first base. Uh, the Yankees next season will have the luxury, probably, assuming Jacoby Ellsbury still on this roster, of having and Clint, Clint Frazier and God everybody, the luxury of having too many outfielders. And I think that what they should do is they should go into the season without a DH in, a specific DH in mind and plan on giving Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez and Greg Bird and Tyler Austin and all of those guys, the bulk of that time. Uh, because they are, that's something you, the, the Yankees have tried to do that in the past, but the problem was is they weren't very deep. And so they ended up having like Jacoby Ellsbury as their DH effectively. Um, or I'm trying to think of who else, who, who else manned that spot in some of those years where they didn't have anybody who was any good. But the idea being that, you know, you're, you, you, the only way you can do that is with depth, but they have the depth. We've been talking on this podcast about how, you know, the Yankees, they have too many players, right? They, they, they don't have enough roster spots for all these guys. And uh, I, think, I think that's the, the kind of solution there. I, I, know, I know he could probably hang, you know, like handle first base and has probably taken ground balls there in spring training, you know, decent, a decent amount. But, um, you know, I think if you're trying to rest him, I think you rest him at DH. And he's, I, I'd like, love to look at the numbers, but I think he's been hitting fine when he's been at DH, so he doesn't have like a psychological oh, yeah. problem. He had a home run today. 
Um, he hit home run every day. Yeah, every yeah. It must be uh, must be Thursday. The, the only thing I would say is devil's advocate to DH, and um, Sterling brings it up every time they do it. But it it, it, it came back to bite them today. Romine gets ejected, and then yeah. and then Gary has to go catch, and then you lose your DH. I would love that solution if like Tyler Wade learned how to catch. Um, then I'd be totally fine, and I'd, I'd be okay with that. But um, the Yankees don't have that super utility guy right now, and especially if you're going to have an average to below average catcher, you might have to pinch hit for him down the line. Um, you know, in a close game in the AL, and in that case, you, you need another option to be able to catch. And and I, I just I feel more comfortable doing the switch where Bird goes to first, and then Sanchez goes behind the home plate, and uh, and we don't lose uh we don't make it Chapman pitch uh, Chapman hit in the ninth um, than the alternative, you know. Yeah, I think that's a legitimate concern. I, I'm just not – I think that the Yankees will, will be fine. I think with a deep enough bench, if you end up having to pinch it for a hitter a couple of times, that's okay. And if you're doing this regularly enough, you're still giving Gary Sanchez time off. Um, so, the, so like having to like go and play the last two innings at catcher, you know, it probably isn't the best thing for his legs, but it's still, you know, it's still saving him some, some wear and tear. Yeah. Uh, especially if you give him enough enough times. Whereas, like if if it were if if this like were Gary Sanchez's rare day off, and he had to come in and catch, I would say that's more of a problem because then you know that little bit of rest that he's getting, he's not really getting. And obviously today was a weird situation, and they you know um, I I do think it'd be a problem if strategically if they if they think that they're hamstrung by not being able to pinch it for Tyler Austin for for Austin Romine late in the game or not be able to pinch run for him late in the game because you would have to like do some kind of weird double switch thing and have the pitcher in the lineup and all that. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a legitimate concern. I'm just not. I'm just. I I think it's a pretty low on my list in terms of like how how much I really care about it. Um. But it's it is real. But I want to move on. So throwing to Gary Sanchez today was Jaime Garcia. Uh, Jaime Garcia came over before the Yankees knew they were getting a good pitcher in Sonny Gray, and has been pretty terrible. <laughs> He's pitching about four innings per game. It seems like with a six point three two ERA. He's walking the ballpark. He's not striking a lot of players out. Uh, Jaime Garcia is just not having a particularly good season. He's got a four point five two ERA in one hundred thirty five innings. His FIP is kind of right around there. Seems like he's about an average to below average player. But he's pitching every five days, and the Yankees are trying to win a division slash maintain a wild card lead. So, Jim, what should the Yankees do about Jaime Garcia? I, I think I, I, I think what they will do is keep sending him out there, unfortunately. Um, but he's the kind of guy – it reminds me of like that the second year – that we had Aaron Small, uh, or <laughs> the, the second year that we had Sean Chacon. Like, like they're just time bombs. And the thing that really scares me about him, um, especially like, you know, we started him in Boston the other day, and like, I, I, I don't know what his platoons are off the top of my head, but it seems like righties mash him. And in, in Parks, like, down the stretch, you know, as we're going for a wild card, I, I, having him go up against Boston terrifies me if we need a win. And I, I just, I think that the best that they could do right now is stretch out Chad green and have him just hovering for when Garcia has to go through the lineup a second time. The minute that a guy gets on base, you have Chad green up in the bullpen and you hope that Chad green can give you, you know, two to three innings to, to see and give you an indicator if the team's going to be in the game. 
because Jaime Garcia seems to fall off the table really quickly. Um, when, you know, when, when he, the minute he stops rolling, it's, guys just pile up on base for him. So. Here are the numbers. So against right-handed batters, uh, Garcia has a 261, 340, 435 batting line. Against left-handed batters, he has a 252, 288, 395 batting line. So you're right. Okay. He, he, he is about 20% better against uh, against right-handed batters than he is against uh, left-handed batters, which is a big 20%. Um, if we have the uh, first couple of times through the orders, I kind of scroll down real quick to that uh, that uh, part of this. Uh, All right, so he, is, he definitely gets a lot worse after the fourth inning. Uh, in the fifth inning, he has a 1.12 OPS allowed. Sixth, uh, sixth inning, eight, uh, 800 OPS. Seventh inning, 990 OPS. So oh, yeah, you're, you're definitely right there. That that once you get you know two times through the order, he's pretty much dead. Here's what I think they should do by Gary Sanchez. So I, about Jaime Garcia, I'm going to assume for a minute that Jordan Montgomery is off the table at the moment. Um, there's a reason why they sent him down, though he was probably a slightly better pitcher. Um, innings limits, whatever, right? So let's just assume for a second that he's not an option right now. I think that they should keep throwing him out there, kind of like you said, with you know, with with locked and loaded in the fourth, fifth inning, ready to ready to go and get somebody better um, uh, in the until September. And then in September, I think they should really start to consider bullpen starts um, for for that spot in the rotation, or in, uh, assuming that Montgomery can't come back, or maybe he can only go a couple of innings. Um, the Yankees are are about to call up like a lot of really good, like really good, legitimate major league relief pitchers. I mean, they they will call up on day one of the of September call ups. Giovanni Gallegos, who has a fourteen percent strikeout, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a forty four percent strikeout rate. Um, that's about fourteen per nine um, at AAA at the moment, and and uh, you know already well below two. Um, they're about to to call up Ben Ben Heller, who's had a, a fantastic. Oh, okay. A fantastic season so far at AAA, and who I I uh, mistake for Brian Keller all the time, uh, who was also <laughs> traded around the same time and is currently at high A. They're going to call up Jonathan Holder, who struggled a little bit earlier in the season, but there's a reason why he made the roster out of spring training, and he's been fine in the minors. He's been, you know decent, pretty good in the minors. Um, you know they're probably going to call up you know maybe you know uh, someone like uh, Ronald Herrera or uh, you know probably Brian Mitchell comes back. Right, they've got lots of players that can fill those spots. Um, and I think if you were to start off with somebody like either Jaime Garcia or Jordan Montgomery or Chad Green, get two or three with the plan to get two or three innings out of them, I think in September they have the arms that they could do this, and you could that's your best option to try to win those games at this point. I definitely agree with that, and a lot of the, the luxury that they have right now, especially now that they have Kainley, even though he's been a little shaky since they came in, they have three really good relievers that can give you multiple innings in Green, Canely, and Warren. Um, and I like uh, Heller and Holder a lot, and, th- and those are guys that can give you one plus as well. So you could, in theory, go the entire game after September 1st with just relievers uh, if you had to. I just, I worry, you know, I, I just, it, 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 what kills you is if you do that and then you don't win the game, right? Because then you're, you're doomed for the next... Uh, it seems like the next two or three games after that, and I, I would feel better if they had a long man like a Herman or, um, or I mean Chance Adams. You guys talked about him last week, but um, who could properly come in and give him four innings? Yeah, of, Herman's of on the roster too, so yeah, 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 he, he could be an option. 
I think that the, I think the test for me is: Can you do you expect to get five or six innings out of just September call-ups, right? Because because that's those are just, that's just spare capacity in your bullpen, and then you have the Canleys and Robertsons and all that that you would have with a normal starting pitcher um, out there anyway. And it's not like Jaime Garcia is going is eating innings and giving up runs, so yeah. you're not getting that out of him either. Um, so it's just something you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that there's something that they're discussing. We probably won't see it. Um, I think the, be- the the hope is that we get Jordan Montgomery back in September, uh, yeah, even if he's only pitching eighty pitches a start or something. And and not to belabor it, but like their call ups are so much better than normal teams' call ups because Heller and Holder are and quality middle guys. And guy, yeah, Gallegos is another quality guy. Um, so th- they would all be starting on on twenty you know twenty three other teams' bullpens right now. So. Um, all right, so uh, so yeah, hopefully hopefully we don't have to hopefully we get actually a couple of good Jaime Garcia starts or something along those lines. Um, though it's interesting that you mentioned the, the right-handedness of the, of the Red Sox. I think in a future episode I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, about how the Yankees start matching up in the playoffs in terms of lefty and righty stuff. So that is uh, that's reserved for a future episode. Jim, thank you very much for joining me. We are almost at the half hour mark. So everybody else, thank you. This has been your It's About the Money podcast. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.